compassion, trust, courage, innovation, the values of Temecula Valley Hospital. We proudly present TVH Health Chat. Here's Melanie Cole. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as many as 29 million people in the United States have diabetes. And if you're one of the many, you may have some questions about how best to manage it and how to live a healthier lifestyle. My guest is Dr. Karen Machowski. She's board-certified family physician and a member of the medical staff at Temecula Valley Hospital. Dr. Machowski, what happens? Give us a little physiology lesson. What happens when we eat as far as insulin and blood sugar, and what's different with somebody with diabetes? So if everything is working correctly, when you eat, food goes into your stomach and gets digested into sugar, and then your pancreas, which is an organ in your stomach, secretes insulin. And the job of insulin is to take sugar, put it in your bloodstream, and then move it to all your cells. Uh, because every cell that we have lives on sugar. So if if your body's working correctly, then that's the process. Once you become diabetic, what happens is instead of the sugar going to your cells, it stays in your bloodstream. And that's uh, in the case of type 2 diabetes, mostly because uh, your body has now become resistant to insulin. So it doesn't work the way it should, and you have more sugar in your blood vessels. The problem with that is that blood vessels don't like having high sugar levels in them. And over time, uh, that can cause damage to blood vessels. What causes diabetes type 2? Do we know? There are a lot of different things that can cause type 2 diabetes. Uh, And every person is a little bit different, but certainly genetics can play a role. So if you have family members that have diabetes, you are at higher risk for developing diabetes yourself. Uh, If you are above your ideal body weight, that increases the risk of diabetes. Uh, Rarely, there's some medicines that we can prescribe to patients that increase diabetes, but that's probably the least common type of type 2 diabetes. And um, certainly what we're finding now is that the environment when you were in your mom's womb can also play a role. Uh, And we're not quite sure how much of that plays a role. Who would be at highest risk? And and just to make it clear to the listeners, we're not talking about type 1 diabetes, which can be a juvenile onset and, uh, you know, a different disease, as it were. But we're talking about type 2. So who is most at risk? So the people most at risk, there are certain ethnic groups that seem to have higher rates of diabetes. So African-Americans, Latino, Native Americans, so patients that are part of that ethnic group, they have higher rates of diabetes. Uh, And then patients who are above their ideal body weight. Those two seem to be the biggest risk factors for developing diabetes. So if somebody comes to you with some symptoms, what would they come to describe as any symptoms? Would you even know if you were pre-diabetic? Is there anything that would send up a red flag? So um, when you are pretty diabetic, it does not have any symptoms. Uh, when you are diabetic, if, you were, if, you're still, if your sugars are not out of control, and that's how most people present is actually before their sugars are out of control, they have no symptoms. And so that's why it's important if you have any risk factors for diabetes that you go to your doctor to see if you might have this. Once your diabetes is out of control, uh, then people start having symptoms like being thirsty all the time, um, urinating all the time, losing weight even though they don't want to try to lose weight. How's it diagnosed? We, I mean, we've heard of glucose testing and, and, and you have to fast and such at your physical, but how do you determine that someone does have diabetes or is pre-diabetic? So the ways that we determine this are with blood tests. 
there's three different types of blood tests that you can do. Uh, the first one is what's called a hemoglobin A1C. A hemoglobin A1C is the average of what your sugar has been for the past six weeks. So we have certain set numbers that if you are above that, then you are diabetic. There's also criteria for using a fasting blood sugar. Um, and again, there are certain numbers that if you reach, you're diabetic. And then the third way to check for diabetes is you can do what's called an oral glucose tolerance test, where you'll drink uh, very sweet water, and then you'll have your blood checked uh, right before you drink it, one hour later, and two hours later. So those are really the three main ways that we diagnose diabetes. What's the first line of defense? If you tell a patient, you know what, I think you're pre-diabetic, or you have full-on diabetes, what is the first thing you tell them to do to start to manage this and take control? So we try to tell people who are pre-diabetic to, to do the same things as far as diabetes, except for medication. But the most important thing really are lifestyle changes. So there are a lot of lifestyle changes that will help you not become diabetic. And once you are become once you are diabetic, it will help manage your diabetes. So the lifestyle interventions are regular physical activity, uh, nutritious, healthy diet, and weight loss if you are above your ideal body weight. Let's talk about diet for a minute. Dr. Machowski, people hear carbohydrates, they think right away, terrible, terrible if you're pre-diabetic, but not all carbohydrates are really equal, are they? So explain a little bit about how diet affects diabetes. So you're correct. Um, certain foods, uh, when you eat them, will increase your sugar very rapidly. And there are other foods that when you eat will slowly increase your sugars and they don't go as high. So um, carbohydrates is the group of foods that can increase blood sugar, but it, they do it to different levels. So if you have a simple carbohydrate, let's say potatoes or rice, those uh, carbohydrates increase your sugar very rapidly. Things that are more complex uh, carbohydrates like vegetables, brown rice, whole wheat pastas, those are less likely to increase your sugar. And where do protein, fats, and even alcohol, because that, that, that process is different and can become sugar even quicker, but it's a little bit different. So how, where do these other foods fit in? So uh, proteins uh, have very low uh, what's called the glycemic index. Glycemic index is how fast a food will increase your sugar or how high it will increase your sugar. So proteins actually have a relatively low glycemic index. Alcohol um, is essentially a sugar, so it has a higher glycemic index and can increase your sugars. How often should somebody with diabetes check their blood sugar? So that's actually a controversial topic currently. Um, we used to have all diabetics check their blood sugars relatively frequently, um, sometimes a couple times a day. But what's interesting is that um, studies are now showing that in most diabetics who are not requiring insulin, that it really doesn't, that uh, patients don't really need to do this because it doesn't really change the management and the overall outcomes of their diabetes. So most of us now are using sugar, um, checking their sugar, maybe early in diabetes when we want people to learn uh, how foods can change their sugar. So we might use it initially, uh, and then we also use uh, checking blood sugars on anybody that would be on insulin. Speaking of insulin, you got right to my next question. When does it come down to medication? And is insulin always the end site for somebody with diabetes or not necessarily? The question of when medication starts is very individual. 
there are there's a group of medicines. It's called metformin that actually is now recommended for all diabetics, whether or not um, their sugars are high. So there is one group of medicines that's been shown to be beneficial regardless of your blood sugars. Insulin is um, used in some patients, but absolutely it's not an endpoint for everybody. Uh, so only a small group of patients will need insulin, and those are ones where we have a harder time controlling their blood sugars. What are some things and comorbidities that you would like somebody, as we're talking about diabetes and ways to manage and control these symptoms, there are other things that can go along with it, like foot health or eye exams, wounds that don't heal, high blood pressure, heart disease, all of these things. Speak about these kinds of comorbidities and what you tell your patients about monitoring them. Sure. So like we talked about, uh, Diabetes is when you have high blood sugar and that vessels don't like having a high sugar environment. So if you can see any place that you're in your body that you have a vessel, then you can have a complication of diabetes. So your heart is a big blood vessel, so patients with diabetes have higher rates of heart attacks. Uh, your brain has blood vessels in it, and if one of those gets clogged, that's when you have a stroke. So there's higher rates of stroke in patients with diabetes. Your kidneys are big blood vessels, so also higher rates of uh, kidney failure, same with the back of your eyes because that's a big network of blood vessels. What's important for patients to know, though, is that the rates of complications with diabetes can dramatically go down if they are able to manage their sugars. So it's not a foregone conclusion that everybody with diabetes will end up with a complication. Wrap it up for us with your best advice about lifestyle and management and possibly even prevention, what you would like people to know about diabetes and living with and taking care of their symptoms. So the most important thing to realize is that the basics really do make a difference on whether you will become diabetic or once you are diabetic, how well you can manage your diabetes. So really going back to the basics of having a good, healthy diet, getting regular exercise, and keeping your weight um, at the ideal place are going to do a lot to help prevent you from coming, becoming diabetic. Or if you already have diabetes, those things will help to make your diabetes um, not as severe. And tell us about why they should come to Temecula Valley Hospital for their care. Well, Temecula Valley is a small community hospital and is very in the forefront of educating patients uh, about their own disease. We really like patients to be involved in the decisions. Uh, and this is part of one of those uh, ways that we show this, talking to patients about diabetes, trying to get them involved in lifestyle changes, uh, and so providing this type of education to our community. Thank you so much, Dr. Machowski, for being with us today. It's really important for people to hear these lifestyle and behavioral tips that you've offered today. Thank you for sharing your expertise. You're listening to TVH Health Chat with Temecula Valley Hospital. For more information, please visit TemeculaValleyHospital.com. That's TemeculaValleyHospital.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Temecula Valley Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.